0: To begin with this great subject, the higher realms of poetic inspiration, I should say that I have recorded thousands of poems on our website, Mother and Sri Aurobindo. I have studied the future poetry of Sri Aurobindo again and again, Much of it is beyond my human understanding because when he speaks or writes about the overhead inspiration, it is something that we all have to learn, study, become very conversant with because it is a poetry that is written from above the mind, and if we truly want to understand these overhead influences in poetry, of course first we have to go to Sri Aurobindo, but we can also go to other poets whom he praises greatly, A. E., George Russell, William Butler Yeats. Meredith, and many, many others who he calls out for their ability to bring down from the highest something of this overhead influence. Now, people come to me all the time and say, oh, I have written these four lines, I have written this poem, and many of you, I'm sure, have written poetry, and it has come down But it's not you. It has come from another realm of experience. And that's why you're so happy that it came to you. Now, you know that Sri Aurobindo, I thought, had made 16 drafts of the first canto of Savitri. And when I mentioned this to Ranganathan, Um, a long time ashramite who worked in the press for more than 40 years I believe he said to me no Narad, he made 50 drafts 50 and he said I have seen them all now why would Sri Aurobindo who was already a realized great realized avatar have to write 50 drafts of the first book and especially the first canto well he said he did it because each time he rose to a higher level he wrote from that level it's an extraordinary statement so time after time he rose higher and higher and higher so what do we do Well, I can tell you that I've probably written 30 or 40 books already. Not all on poetry. I've written a book on the service tree. I've written a book on the new music. And I've written books on horticulture. But in my aspiration to understand more about these higher realms of poetic vision. I spent years with Amal Kiran, uh, to whom Sri, Sri Aurobindo gave that name, a clear ray. His legal name was K.D. Sethna. And he would praise my poetry and criticize it. and. Encourage me. Again and again he would encourage me. He would publish my poems in Mother India when he was in charge of it. And so I wrote to him many, many questions on Savitri. And he would do his best and answer them. There were (coughs) others also. Madhav Pandit. um, Jumur. And our beloved Alok, who answered hundreds and hundreds of questions that I put to him about passages or lines or phrases in Savitri. I'll just briefly speak to you about my own inspiration, how it has come to me, and I should not even say my own Everything that has come to me has come through the grace of Sri Aurobindo. The only credit I take is for the mistakes. And when I could not quite catch the influence, or the mind got involved and wanted to do a little better, which Sri Aurobindo cautions us against, So all the poetry I've written, and again, Alok has written many forewords, as well as Shradalu, for which I'm very grateful. So let us begin perhaps on the composition of a higher poetry, Uh, not necessarily a spiritual poetry, but it could be, and often is. We have a line from Yeats. O body swayed to music, O brightening glance, how can we tell the dancer from the dance? Oh. So, I'll look, give us some insights. Yes, um,
1: it always intrigued me that why um, almost all the great scriptures, the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Gita, uh, much of the writings in the Puranas, they are great poetry. Of course, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. And I may like to recount one interesting story about, you know, people know about Ramayana and much of it but how it came into existence. As the story goes that uh, once Rishi Valmiki saw a pair of uh, birds, kranch Pakshi and they were killed by a careless, ruthless hunter while they were in a state of love and that brought so much compassion to his heart and a meter came out. Uh, the expression came in the form of a metrical rhythm, and that was the beginning of Ramayana. If you look at the Ramayana, that uh, little one sloka summarizes actually the story of Rama and Ravana, uh, Rama and Sita. Uh, that apart, in Indian thought, especially the tantras, there is this understanding of speech, how speech is born. So, everything that we experience here is. Um, Uh, owes its origin to something higher, not only poetry, even the substance, even matter, owes its origin to something higher. So, um, we often hear this expression, the word made flesh, or in the Bible the saying is that, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. We have these expressions of, um, the rhythm, which created this universe, nada the original swar. So, essentially the word which has created is the rhythm, uh, is the original spandan which came out of the silence and stillness of the one. And this rhythm has the power to create. Now, how does it create is a very beautiful uh, whole science, but I am not getting into it because that will be a different subject altogether. How does this rhythm create? But, the effort of human speech just as it, it tries to catch some glimpse of the eternal in everything, in heart, in mind, in thought, in, in will. So the effort of human speech is to capture something of that rhythm in terms of not just substance of thought but in the rhythm of the speech. So this was the origin. This is the origin. It's the highest intensity to which human speech can be uplifted. And that's what is the mantra. So because uh, everything can be uplifted to its height. And human speech is something very extraordinary um, power which we most recklessly use or rather misuse. Because it has a power to destroy, it is a power to create. We all know it. We don't need to elaborate on that. How human speech and not only it can destroy and create in terms of its subsequent effect even immediately there is that creative aspect of speech wherein when you read a very um, you know sublime poetry and I can give a few examples from the Indian context even western poets I read a lot but I can give you that with which you know I got intimately connected when I read the Mahabharata it appeared to me the characters are much more real than any of the serials they are wonderful but that is something which i just can't you know the krishna that i read is is the creation i mean he is reality but the way the poet communicates is so much real so also when you read i mean for me like when i read shurbindo he creates and one of the great purposes among many when we read say a book like savitri or any of his poems is to communicate and create that state of consciousness in which the seer has a reason. So it is directly a yoga. It's not about understanding. There is a power in that creative word and when we just read it, it starts creating that state which the rishi is communicating through this medium. And indeed it is the best medium because when we read prose, automatically we try to discern, analyze. Philosophy is like that. So, but when we read poetry, it goes straight to the inner being. Fortunately, because very often our surface mind doesn't understand it. So, <laughs> it's a great help. <laughs> it bypasses the barrier of rational thought and it just tells something inside. And if you wait for the moment, if you wait, you muse upon the index thought, as Shurubindu says, it starts revealing layer after layer of what is contained within. It. That's the power of poetry. So, there are four levels at which speech can explain you know be found two are below and two are above this is according to the tantric lore and Shurabinda of course speaks about it in the highest realm it is Paravak that which is beyond it's the first star from which creation starts the creative power of the divine it cannot be captured all the forms of artha are nothing but a document which is trying to manifest something of this original Nath even if you combine all of them still you cannot recreate it that's how one of the poets says um, sorry I am getting into that indulgent mood um, that you make ink out of all the seven oceans and uh, make pen out of all the trees this is not to cut the trees excuse me but it's a figurative way of saying <laughs> and make the whole earth like a paper on which you can write still you cannot completely express the beauty, the grandeur, the glory the charm, the sweetness the power of this one word Hari one of the names of the Lord cannot express so that original stir all creation is continuing to express it if we look at creation at another level it is poetry so poetry is not just a word like Veda is not just the shlokas veda is the secret knowledge embedded in creation that's why when Shravindu describes Satyavan he says a veda knower of the unwritten word it's, it's there veda is secret knowledge it's embedded in creation if we look at the way the galaxies spin in space if we look at the way uh, you know even some animals the way they move the plants it's a poetry and we too can in our own bodies tune ourselves to this grand poetry in creation but that is parava. Then it comes the second layer which is still accessible to human beings, still concealed and that is called Pashyantivak, the seeing word. So what the poet does is, he sees something which we don't see and in that sense it is art because all art is meant to express the unseen beauty which is hidden behind even the seemingly ugly appearances. Purpose of art is to express beauty, it's a different thing that modern, modern art <laughs> often does the reverse but it is to bring out that which is beautiful and express it and at the third that is Pashanti Vak you see and express and the poet communicates this inner feeling this inner vision and then we have uh, below that the Madhyama and the Vaikri, what is distorted in terms of human speech so all poetry comes from those heights what should we call overhead meaning thereby beyond the rational mind so if you try to understand it rationally well we can get some fragments but it has to be felt and experienced as a whole and if we muse upon it, meditate upon it reflect upon it, then it discloses all the secrets that are inside it and just one last two minutes I'll take all human speech is composed of two elements the sound and the word in terms of And very often we emphasize on the word and its fixed meanings. That's how civilization has developed. But we have forgotten that sound has a tremendous power. Nowadays children understand it. So when they say okay, you have to not hear the okay but okay, okay, see, okay. So they mean different thing just by the play of sound which is something very beautiful. Also Shivinder speaks about the limitations of human speech at present and he speaks about a future language which has to emerge and the mother also speaks about it. So uh, all the mysteries of existence are not exhausted in our present frame, much more is to come, a a higher and higher poetry, greater and greater inspiration, uh, rhythms, which as of now we don't know and don't understand. And that's what future poetry is about. It is the mantra born from the depths of the heart that rise or its home is in the upper hemisphere, in, the, in truth, its home is in the truth. That's where the word, home of the word is. But it is hidden in the heart and rises from there and expresses itself in forms and symbols of sounds and words. And creates what it sees deep within.
0: Um, so. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the ashram ashramites whom Sri Aurobindo helped to become poets. He helped many of them. There was one man, Harindranath Chattopadhyay, and he wrote extraordinarily beautiful poetry, very lyrical. And Mother used to do something very interesting. He would come down from the, uh, behind the samadhi. Mother would pour a basket of flowers onto his head. And he would go back to his room and type on a typewriter for hours and hours and hours. He wrote one lack of lines in a year. Extraordinary. Another one, uh, well, I should finish. He left the ashram and came back after some years and met Amal Kiran. And Amal showed him some of his early poetry under Sri Aurobindo's influence, and the man wept. He realized that going away he had lost the touch.
1: I think Sherbindo spoke about him as the most authentic, most
0: authentic uh, yes. voice in English, uh, yes, Indian absolutely. voice in English poetry. Yeah. Now Amal, of course, wrote a lot of poetry, and there was one poem that he wrote that Sri Aurobindo said, "If you could always write like this, you would be among the greatest poets." Now there was Nishikanto whom I had the great blessing to meet on his birthday. And he was a great Bengali poet. He wrote some things in English too. But Sri Aurobindo said something very interesting to him. He said, if you go out of the ashram, you will become revered as one of the greatest poets. If you stay in the ashram, you will suffer... For years and years, great pain, he said, I will stay. There were others, such as Arjava, who opened to an occult plane of extraordinary beauty. And Sri Aurobindo said, his work is very different. You, you almost have to enter that plane to begin to understand his work. So we see that Sri Aurobindo has helped so many people. He can help us right now. He is here. He is in the subtle physical. You can all meet him. And Mother said, when you go to the Samadhi, talk to him. Tell him of your problems. Tell him of your aspirations. And certainly if you have any feeling for poetry, you appeal to him for his guidance. Because in the new poetry, there is something that uh, Alok referred to, and that is the power of the word. And that power, if it enters us, we can write, otherwise it's just something from the mind and there are thousands of poets who have done that already. To, to very good effect, uh, the early Wordsworth was excellent. Afterwards, Sri Aurobindo said he petered out. And of course, Yeats, Sri Aurobindo had high praise for. A.E. was more of a mystic. And he wrote mystical poetry, and Sri Arbindo makes a distinction. He said, A.E. was the greater, I don't think he said yogi, but uh, the greater person uh, within. But Yeats was the greater poet. So, you see, we have to make that distinction also. Uh, We may write poems to to mother, and uh, we think they're very beautiful, but... But if they don't come from that highest realm, and that's what the subject is of our talk today, these higher realms of of poetry, which, in my experience, they come without our thinking. When I am touched in some way, I begin writing the lines without, without even thinking about them. They just come, they flow down. And Baran has told us that in one session, Sri Aurobindo dictated 600 lines of poems to him. And I asked him, I said, Narodhbaran, did you ever not hear? He said, no, I heard every word. And then I said, what was his voice like? Sri Arbindo's voice, and he said, it was like a flute. And I asked Udar, what was his voice like? He said, perfect English gentleman. <laughs> so it's very important for us to, when we read Savitri, to understand the word. I've written a book called Lexicon of the Infinite Mind from a line in Savitri. And that lexicon in which Alok, Sadalu and many others have helped me seeks to define the word according to the way Sri Aurobindo understood it. And Sri Aurobindo preferred the Cambridge Dictionary. So I always refer first to the Cambridge Dictionary for definitions and pronunciations. look! you want to say a few more words?
1: Um, I was just thinking that, you know, we should, I'm sure you would read that passage on the mantra, um, how really to receive. So one is to write poetry, which of course, if one is blessed, it's, it's wonderful. It must come as an inspiration. For me, it's always come from the heart, climbing up. That's how it has come to me. As a child, maybe 10, 12 years, I started writing poetry. <laughs> Tons of poetry, English, Hindi, both. Uh, but one thing I noticed, I can say on a very personal note, which is interesting, that till I physically came to know of Shirobindo in this, in this life that's about uh, a little before 24, I used to write a lot and almost everything was in Hindi I had almost this uh, mm. I don't mind sharing it, this strong feeling that you know Britishers were not very fair to <laughs> India so <laughs> though I, ex- I knew the language very well but I won't just you know write but after i turned to shrabindo my all my writings and poetry everything came in english it's so strange it's something which i have observed in my own life it was literally that you know <laughs> i didn't try anything didn't uh, even now but i it's all personal i just share with some people uh, some hindi of course has come as bhajans uh, now they are on youtube Quite a few of the Hindi poetry which has come as bhajans. But this used to be, I mean how things come. I have also seen that the medium on which you write makes a difference. So earlier I used to write um, on the paper, pen like everybody else. When I switched on to the computer, I could suddenly notice that there is a difference which has come altogether, together. And I wondered why this change of the medium or the instrument is creating a difference. So they are very fascinating aspects of poetry. And um, I'm sure there is a uh, I, I believe that there is a, a poet, a philosopher, and a little bit of a madman in everyone. Don't mind my saying so. <laughs> and they all bypass the rational intellect, which is good, but philosopher does it in his own way by discernment. But it's it's um, it carries the charm, joy and the creative expression so how to know that this poetry is genuine uh, or it's coming from the higher spheres my one simple criteria which I found in Savitri is the creative word carries the delight within it you know would always say that it is delight which wants to express itself in and through creation so all authentic creation at least uh, that's my criteria it's not about whether it be speech um, talk or writing when I experience that inner enthusiasm or a kind of inner joy, it is, doesn't matter who will read it, won't read it, whether centuries will remain hidden, it doesn't matter but that delight, delight is a big word but some semblance of that flows into the word and the same thing happens to the reader you observe it, it's so interesting when you read a poetry of a sublime character, it brings joy why? because it it gives us some touch of the original creative impulsion of the divine, which is delight, rasovesa. So, essentially, how to arrive at there? Just a cue from Upanishad, then we will read something probably. So, the cue is the, in the Kirin Upanishad, this speaks about the mind behind the mind and speech behind the speech. So this speech behind the speech when do we enter? When the outer mind becomes quiet it reflects, it's in a state of, all poets have this common tendency they, one they feel a lot and then they they don't rush into outward expressions, they just stay quiet and let this whole thing go inside and then emerge burst out in the creative splendor of poetry. So the more we become quiet, the more Poet we become, um, if not partially mad, but it's good <laughs> because it breaks the patterns. Um, I One last thing, I feel sometimes we try to fit poetry into um, meters, which is wonderful. I mean, it's, it's an attempt of the mind. But I do believe this is a purely intuitive sense which comes from also reading Shurabinduva. That the poetry of the future will not lend itself to any simple mentalized metrical arrangement. You have to feel for it, it will go beyond the literally, I would use the word rhythms of the infinite. They would be too plastic to be captured in one single pattern and way, because that's the most important part of poetry, one of the most important is the rhythm. And the rhythm comes with the sound, the stress, the accent. This is are, these are what causes, create the rhythm. The quantity, that's another aspect of poetry. And Shubindu speaks so much about um, quantitative meter. Um, but the poetry of the future will surpass this. It will be like a rhythm which will be creating and recreating itself with every line in, in, in a wonderful way. And that's what I have always felt about Savitri. People say it's an iambic pentameter, and I do understand that part. But I have always felt that Savitri is something which surpasses all frames within which we try to capture poetry. Maybe you like to read something? Actually, uh,
0: I want to talk a little bit about uh, the structure that Sri Aurobindo has used. In all the great epic poems, the poet does not begin at the beginning of the story. It begins in the middle, and there are flashbacks. Sri Aurobindo has honored that epic style. The story of Savitri, the birth and quest, is long after these other books that preceded. Now, Sri Aurobindo actually replied to Amal Kiran's many, many letters in which he felt that there was a better word that Sri Aurobindo could have used. And 99, I think, 0.9% of the time, Sri Aurobindo disagreed. So I'm going to read you a little part here where Amal says, um, Sri Aurobindo is speaking about the word invisible. A lonely splendor from the invisible goal almost was flung on the opaque inane. This is 1936. Sri Aurobindo writes, No word will do except invisible. I don't think there are too many eyes." In fact, such multiplications of a vowel or consonant assonance or several together as well as syllabic assonances in a single line or occasionally between line endings are an accepted feature of the technique in sabetry. Purposeful repetitions also or those which serve as echoes or keynotes in the theme. One more here, because this is so incredible. You have to understand that Sri Aurobindo, for 25 years, read all the poetry of the world. He learned German, and he read Goethe. He learned Latin, and he read Virgil. He read Dante. He read Uh, Milton. So he was conversant with all these great poets who wrote epic poetry and as well with the poets who, who wrote lyric poetry. So he says to us that rhythm is the most important thing. Rhyme is not so important. One can write unrhymed, Verse And Savitri is exactly that. He does not rhyme anything in Savitri. But many of his sonnets are marvelous rhymes. So we have to distinguish that the poet decides on the meter, on the rhythm. And of course, Savitri is written in iambic pentameter. And I am is a beat, short, long. It was the hour before the gods awake. And, of course, if I read that like that, you'd fall asleep in five minutes. So we don't read it like that, but the rhythm is there. And you have to feel that rhythm, because in Salvatry, it is a rhythm from the highest heights and we have to ascend to those heights to some degree to be, to be able even to begin to read Savitri now many of us don't like book two so much because it's uh, it's not an easy book and none of us have been there We have not ascended that world stair. We have not gone to those planes of existence where Sri Aurobindo sees their faults, their limitations, and their possibilities. We have not gone down into the depths and seen the mother and the sons of darkness, which we've not talked about during this series, and I think it's a good thing. That we've not talked about it, we can always we can always see darkness because it's so prevalent. But it's easier to see the light. We are chased by a self we cannot now recall and moved by a spirit we must still become. As one who has lost the kingdom of his soul, we look back to some God phase of our birth, other than this imperfect creature here, and hope in this or a diviner world to recover yet from heaven's patient guard What by our mind's forgetfulness we miss. Our being's natural felicity. Our heart's delight we have exchanged for grief. The body's thrill we bartered for mere pain. The bliss for which our mortal nature yearns as yearns an obscure moth to blazing light. Our life is a march to a victory never won. Well, I read a little of that the other day. This is so extraordinary. He tells us where we are going to go. He gives us the vision of the future in book 11. He says that even if there is a darkness that comes... It will not survive the light. We are here today to participate in that light that comes from our speakers and the light that they are able to share. I would like to read more to you, but uh, let me turn it over to Alok for a few moments and then I'll come back to it. Uh, You want (coughs) to read some, I think. Yes,
1: I want to read uh, something of Shraubhinda's poem.
0: But it's
1: a vast ocean, one of the most delightful (laughs) books. Of course, Savitri is the ultimate. But uh, this is with reference to poetry itself so how Sherbindo's poetry came into being how he wrote poetry uh, so it's everything that his entire life is there in his poems so i've, I've always felt that if you really want to read Sherbindo's life savitri is one second is all his experiences are there in collected poems so it's so wonderful but this poem is uh, musa spiritus so The Muse, which inspires us. O word concealed in the upper fire, thou who hast lingered through centuries, descend from thy rapt white desire, plunging through cold eternities, into the gulfs of a nature leap, Voice of the spaces Call of the light Break the seals of matter's sleep Break the trance of the unseen height Invariably when this inspiration descends It enters into the human mind And it gets mixed That's what Sri the says And that was the reason why he had to Not only rewrite again and again But also because Even our words are not yet Uh, ready to express those higher rhythms and second is that there should be no mixture of the human mind even poets who write from great heights when it enters the human mind the realm of rational thought it gets mixed so he had to maintain that entire purity so he speaks about it that how it enters and into matter's sleep in the uncertain glow of human mind it's waste of unharmonied, thronging thoughts. Carve thy epic mountain lined, crowded with deep prophetic crowd So he's reminding us as these higher things enter into the human ken, they get distorted. This is one of the biggest problems of all. People often say that God doesn't speak to us. Well, he speaks, probably, he's the only fellow speaking. <laughs> <laughs> we are not listening uh, typically we go tell a prayer and walk away don't even wait to hear him what he is trying to tell us so all um, muse of the silence the wideness make in the unplumbed stillness that hears thy voice in the vast mute heavens of the spirit awake where thy eagles of power flame And rejoice It's a longish poem I'll just read four passages Which are my favorite From this poem Out Out with the mind And its candle flares Light Light the suns That never die For my ear The cry of the seraph stars And the forms of the gods For my naked eye How powerful this is Just this one line Out Out With the mind and its candle flares. Light, light the suns that never die, for my ear the cry of the seraph stars, and the forms of the gods for my naked eye. Let the little troubled life god within, let the little troubled life god within cast his veils from the still soul, his tiger stripes of virtue and sin. His clamor and glamor and toll and dole all these restless uh, noise um, of these life gods, desires and then so powerful these lines just reading them as magic all make tranquil all make free let my heartbeats measure the footsteps of God what a poetry this is my life should become a poem all make tranquil all make free let my heartbeats measure the footsteps of God as he comes from his timeless infinity as he comes from his timeless infinity to build in the rapture his burning abode Weave for the you know aspiration. Weave from my life his poem of days. One is the poetry that we receive as thought, intelligence, poetic intelligence, and write. Let my life become a poem. My footsteps, the rhythms of the divine. My speech, a perfect expression of all his sevenfold ecstasies. Weave from my life his poem of days. His calm. Pure dawns and his noons of force, my acts for the grooves of his chariot race, my thoughts for the tramp of his great steed's course. What marvelous lines they are, magnificent. Every poem, another uh, just a couple of minutes, uh, biographical poem of Shobindu seer, deep-hearted, occult fountain of love. Vast in thy soul was a tide, washing the coasts of heaven. shobindu wanted himself to be referred to more as a poet than a philosopher, but his disciples uh, have left no stones unturned to turn him into a philosopher and a scholar to boot. But he always, he said, <laughs> the philosopher of Alba he had no intention to do so, but then, well, he ended up writing 64 pages of philosophy, as he said, because he believed that the yogi can do anything. But he was, in his core, a poet much more than anything else. And poet of the dawn and poet of the new creation, creating the new creation, bringing into birth the new creation. By the power of the word, reading Shurabindo is yoga.
0: I'm going to read a long passage to close our session. Because we don't usually read very long passages in Salvatry. Um, It takes so much time and there is so much to say. But I will ask you all to go deeply within Invoke the silence. Invoke the peace. Invoke the divine grace. And I will begin. Abandoning the dubious middle way, a few shall glimpse the miraculous origin, and some shall feel in you the secret force, and they shall turn to meet a nameless tread, adventurers into a mightier day. Ascending out of the limiting breaths of mind, they shall discover the world's huge design, and step into the truth, the right, the vast you shall reveal to them the hidden eternities, the breath of infinitudes not yet revealed, some rapture of the bliss that made the world, some rush of the force of God's omnipotence, some beam of the omniscient mystery. But when the hour of the divine draws near, the mighty mother shall take birth in time and God be born into the human clay in forms made ready by your human lives. Then shall the truth supreme be given to men. There is a being beyond the being of mind an immeasurable cast into many forms, a miracle of the multitudinous one. There is a consciousness mind cannot touch, its speech cannot utter, nor its thought reveal. It has no home on earth, no center in man, yet is the source of all things thought and done. The fount of the creation and its works, it is the origin of all truth here, the sun orb of mind's fragmentary rays, infinity's heaven that spills the rain of God, the immense that calls to man to expand the spirit, the wide aim of that justifies his narrow attempts, a channel for the little he tastes of bliss. Some shall be made the glory's receptacles and vehicles of the eternal's luminous power. These are the high forerunners, the heads of time, the great deliverers, of earthbound mind, the high transfigurers of human clay, the firstborn of a new supernal race. The incarnate dual power shall open God's door. Eternal supermind touch earthly time. The superman shall wake in mortal man and manifest the hidden demigod or grow into the god light and god force revealing the secret deity in the cave then shall the earth be touched by the supreme his bright unveiled transcendence shall illumine the mind and heart and force the life and act to interpret his inexpressible mystery in a heavenly alphabet of divinity's signs his living cosmic spirit shall enring annulling the degree annulling the decree of death and pain erasing the formulas of the ignorance with the deep meaning Of beauty and life's hid sense. The being ready for immortality. His regard crossing infinity's mystic waves. Bring back to nature her early joy to live. The metered heartbeats of a lost delight. The cry of a forgotten ecstasy. The dance of the first world creating bliss. The imminent shall be the witness God, watching on his many-petaled lotus throne, his actionless being and his silent might, ruling earth nature by eternity's law, a thinker waking the inconscience world, an immobile center of many infinitudes in his thousand-pillared temple by time's sea. Then shall the embodied being live as one, who is a thought, a will of the divine, a mask or robe of his divinity, an instrument and partner of his force, a point or line drawn in the infinite, a manifest of the imperishable. The supermind shall be his nature's fount, The eternal's truth shall mold his thoughts and acts. The eternal's truth shall be his light and guide. All then shall change. A magic order come, overtopping this mechanical universe. A mightier race shall inhabit the mortal's world. On nature's luminous tops, on the Spirit's ground, the Superman shall reign as King of Life, make Earth almost the mate and peer of Heaven, and lead towards God and truth man's ignorant heart, and lift towards Godhead his mortality. A power. Released from circumscribing bounds, its height pushed up beyond death's hungry reach, life's tops shall flame with the immortal's thoughts, light shall invade the darkness of its base. Then, in the process of evolving time, all shall be drawn into a single plan. A divine harmony shall be earth's law. Beauty and joy remold her way to live. Even the body shall remember God. Nature shall draw back from mortality, and spirit's fires shall guide the earth's blind force. Knowledge shall bring into the aspirant thought a high proximity to truth and God. The supermind shall claim the world for light and thrill with love of God the enamored heart and place light's crown on nature's lifted head and found light's rain on her unshaking base. A greater truth than earth's shall roof in earth and shed its sunlight on the roads of mind. A power infallible shall lead the thought, a seeing puissance govern life and act. In earthly hearts kindle the immortal's fire. i could go on and on this this is the divine music sung to us by the divine singer our lord sri arbindo narad narad
1: can i make a last request for you Mm -hmm. Um, to read that passage where uh, at the head she stands Mm -hmm. and uh, just two minute background because Srivabindu describes in the Vedic tradition Kavi is Kritu he is also the seer he is the seer and the creator so um, often we want to have Darshan of the Divine Mother in Srivabindu and we say that well They are far or they are there or they are here. (laughs) But you see this was known in ancient mystic tradition that by the power of the mantra you could draw the deity near to you. That was the whole idea in tantra. By the power of mantra and worship, puja, you drew the deity near, of course the yantra also. So we will just read that passage. I will request Brother Narada to read it. How we can have the darshan of the divine mother literally In a certain sense In the inmost spiritual sense Just by the power of this wonderful passage So darshan is not the eye seeing But the soul seeing and sensing The divine presence um, This little story um, Then this passage There was a blind person who was in the queue To have darshan of Shurabinda the mother He was a mystic Swami Sharnanand. and somebody asked him, you are blind, you can't see, and Srivinda won't speak. So, what are you going there for? He said, it doesn't matter whether I can see or not, even with eyes, how much could I see? I am going so that he can see me, his gaze can fall upon me. So, whenever, I personally, you know, whenever there is a deep urge, you want to... Physically coming, not just in a presence, but you want to physically. These passages, this passage particularly, it just like he draws us so near to us by the power of the mantra, and that is one of the greatest gifts of uh, Shabinder to us. So, a burning love from white spiritual founts, if I can. Yeah, you, you can. Uh, give me the no, you, why don't you read? It's so wonderful. Uh, I'll, I'll take yeah. it out. Yeah,
0: because. You want it at the head she said
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take it out. Yeah, yeah, you have just got the page. A burning yeah, I, I love. Got, this, got the page. This whole passage. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> yes. On the left side, yeah. A burning love from, from the beginning till the end. Yeah. It's so marvelous.
0: A burning love from white... Spiritual founts, annulled the sorrow of the ignorant depths, suffering was lost in her immortal smile, a life from beyond grew conqueror here of death, to err no more was natural to mind, wrong could not come where all was light and love, the formless And the formed were joined in her. Immensity was exceeded by a look. A face revealed the crowded infinite. Incarnating inexpressibly in her limbs. The boundless joy the blind world forces seek. Her body of beauty. Mooned the seas of bliss. At the head she stands. Of birth and toil. And fate. In their slow round. The cycles turn to her call. Alone her hands can change. Time's dragon base. Hers is the mystery the night conceals? The spirit's alchemist energy is hers. She is the golden bridge, the wonderful fire. The luminous heart of the unknown is she, a power of silence in the depths of God. She is the force the inevitable word, the magnet of our difficult ascent, the sun from which we kindle all our suns, the light that leans from the unrealized vasts, the joy that beckons from the impossible, the might of all that never yet came down. All nature dumbly calls to her alone to heal with her feet the aching throb of life and break the seals on the dim soul of man and kindle her fire in the closed heart of things. All here shall be one day her sweetness home. All contraries prepare her harmony. Towards her our knowledge climbs, our passion gropes. In her miraculous rapture we shall dwell. Her clasp shall turn to ecstasy our pain. Our self Shall be one self with all through her. In her, confirmed, because transformed in her, our life shall find in its fulfilled response above the boundless hushed beatitudes, below the wonder of the embrace divine.